Welcome to That Might Be Cool. I'm Jason Hammonds, and joining me today is a man who's uh, a, a, a boy, a big old boy of many talents. He's uh, the co-host <laughs> of the Comic Book Workshop podcast. He's a cartoonist, uh, creator of the comic Scariest and Scream Forth. He is Kent Heidelman. Welcome to the show, Kent. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate you having me. And you know what? I actually I forgot all the plugs because you also uh, are the proprietor of uh, such great works on Instagram as Comics Out Loud and Comic Review Puppet. Uh, so there's there's the, there's the entire plug uh, segment for for Kent. Uh, we'll we'll touch more on all those things at the end of the episode. But uh, excited to to talk about uh, this this movie with you, Kent. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm super pumped. Um, I appreciate all the plugs. Thank you. And yeah, yeah this, of course we get to we get to talk Mar- Marvel uh, Marvel movies. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's a it's a departure for us a little bit. You know, we're we're really going outside our normal wheelhouse uh, on Comic Book Workshop when we talk things that aren't related to Marvel and and these kinds of characters. <laughs> uh, yeah, normally it's it's all about the the craft of making comics, but now it's the review of comic <laughs> of movies, a comic book adaptation. Yeah, it's very it's like a completely different world, Ken. It's not even close to what we normally do. It's um, it's so different. It's a dark world of. of <laughs> <laughs> I refuse to start the music there. It's not the full title. Uh, <laughs> nope, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, this, we're this just movie, talking. <laughs> this movie, I believe, marks the uh, the second sequel in uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, this was uh, uh, kind of an interesting one when it came out. Uh, I, I certainly distinctly remember uh, watching it in the theaters, but this is... This is when you know the the MCU starts to take a tilt even more toward the uh, the cosmic, but maybe it had a, you know a couple of little struggles here and there, finding its tone and finding its direction. Uh, but in my opinion, a little bit uh, a little bit better upon rewatch. That movie, of course, is Thor: The Dark World. Some believe that before the universe. There was nothing. They're wrong. There was darkness. And it has survived. Alright, Kent. What was your first thought on Thor the Dark World when you uh when you watched it in theaters? Uh I remember enjoying it. Uh I I it it was just a. It was another Marvel movie, and I was very stoked to have another a bit of that that sweet sweet MCU drug in my system. So <laughs> I, overall, I loved it, and I'm a huge fan of the Thor comics. Um, I, I was a recent fan because I didn't start reading them until they had announced that there was a Thor movie coming out, and I was like, "Well, I've always been curious about Thor." Uh, you know, mm. read him when he would appear in the comics as cameos, but never really read anything that he was dedicated to. And when I started. Yeah. Holy shit! I love the character. He is actually one of my favorite Marvel characters because he's so like different on on so many levels. Uh, yeah, so, he's yeah. he's he's wildly different from, especially in the MCU, but even just in the rest of the the pantheon of Marvel characters. Because yeah, he's he's one of the few, and at least the first one who was actually just a god. Um, and and I I kind of like the MCU's take on him, where it's sort of ambiguous of like, is he an alien or is he a god? Like they they kind of go into you know just saying he's an alien, but they don't quite state it plainly like that. Um, and this also, I mean, this movie came out at a time when we weren't getting a Marvel movie every you know three or four months, and so you're right, like getting getting a little another sweet taste of that drug is always uh, it was very appealing at the time. 
Yeah, I, I was absolutely pumped. Um, but later, no. I mean, it. Um, I, I guess now is the time to get into it. Yeah, there was oh, yeah. always like the the looking back on it uh, as the the movies added on. This kind of became the. It seemed like a lot of people. This was their least favorite of the of the cinematic universe. Yeah, exactly. If if Incredible Hulk is the redheaded stepchild of the MCU, Thor: The Dark World is like the 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 failure kid. That's like, yeah, it's it's definitely our kid, but like that one really sucks. Um, you know what I mean? Like the kid that's always getting in trouble and and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, like he's actually your kid, so you can't really blame it on anyone. I uh, whereas Incredible Hulk, it felt like they could kind of shove the blame off on other people. I uh, this one they sort of had to own, and it, it is kind of funny because this has always been. This one and the first Captain America movie have always been my two least favorite Marvel uh, or MCU movies. Um, and upon rewatching it, there are a lot of redeeming factors here. There, there are a lot of things that I like, and I do really, really enjoy the character work in this movie, especially the dynamic between Thor and Loki. Yeah, uh, no, there's, it's, it's still a Marvel movie, so I think that the problem is when you're measuring it up against... Uh all the other amazing films that, yeah, maybe not as strong, but it's still a Marvel movie. It's still got some strengths, and there's already been established characters that you can build upon instead of having to introduce. So yeah, there, and there was it, a lot of strengths. And it is, it's a good point, too, because that, that, is, that is true. I mean, it's in this universe where, where you know, they, they execute on such a high level, uh, you kind of forget, like, people will look at it as, as being a really bad movie, but at the same time, like, reviews on this movie weren't really bad audiences liked it i mean you know in talking for rotten tomatoes at least like 66 percent of the reviews from critics on rotten tomatoes were positive uh and 76 percent of the audience liked it so i mean by no means is that a failure it's not like a certified fresh or whatever which is you know tends to be the standard for these movies uh for these marvel movies at least but um but yeah i mean audiences loved it there was there was a lot to like about this movie um I will say this was, I think this was the first time that people started to realize that there was a real villain problem in the MCU movies. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he's, he's definitely, the you know, in my opinion, the, the weakest one. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Written-wise, uh, that's the sad part. I mean, there's so much to get. There's a lot to un, 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 uh, unblock unpack. here. Un, unpack, yeah, unlock that's the it. word. Totally. No, I mean, it's... It's, it's, yeah, uh, I, and here's a funny, so here's a funny thing here, like, too, that, that I didn't realize until coming back to look at this, um, so this movie was, was written by, uh, Chris Yost, who's, uh, actually a comic book writer, um, he wrote a bunch of, like, X-Men and, and X-Force stuff, he wrote a lot of animated shows, like X-Men Evolution, The Batman, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, he is no stranger to uh uh genre entertainment um currently i think he writes on star wars rebels or at least that was his like newest thing um but he he wrote the screenplay and then it was i believe revised by chris marcus and steve mcfeely who wrote all three of the captain america movies as well as infinity war and endgame um oh, and wow. so these guys yeah they're they're heavy hitters in the mcu uh which is it's it's very interesting um kind of looking at their trajectory that they are sort of if anyone's fingerprints can be felt across the entire MCU it's probably Marcus and McFeely more than anybody else you know they've they've had their hands on you know what five six movies at this point uh out of the 22 that are in there so i mean it's 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 interesting to see like one of the sort of 
you know, I guess one of the bigger like fail, you know, f- not failures, but one of the the least successful uh, MCU movies is written by the two guys who have written arguably, you know, the top five most successful movies as well. Um, that's that's very interesting. I I did not realize that. You, you're, thank, yeah. thank God we've got you to read every single name on the credits list. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing all the research, man. Um, and actually, speaking of success, so this this movie uh, was made on a production budget of 170 million. Um, its total worldwide gross was uh, 644 million, which is which is a pretty freaking solid number. And in any other franchise, that is like that's a hang your hat on it number. That's like, all right, hell yeah. Like we had a, we had a real solid outing there, you know, 640 million. That's great. Uh, however, in the MCU, that is the 14th <laughs> best worldwide gross. Yeah. That's uh, it's funny. It's, it's just exactly right. Uh, that's incredible, uh, incredible budget. It's huge budget in my opinion. Yeah. And it's yeah. a, a huge, huge take. You've more than doubled your profits. I'd say it's, it's a moneymaker. You did a great job. Exactly. But, yep. In the context of the MCU. And that's the problem <laughs> is I, I think that the, all the criticisms of it, uh, come through the context of all the things. Like if this was just a normal movie, you'd probably just, uh, be like, oh, that was pretty fun. I had a great time. I, I loved it. But then when you keep comparing it to everything years and years later, because this came out, what, 2013? Yeah. Yep. Um, now it's been, we're in 2019. It's been a while. It's been a while yeah, since exactly. it came out. It's funny, looking at all the numbers and kind of like, you know, reading the tea leaves of, of sort of what happens uh, with the MCU, it seems as though they're their measure for a real success in this universe lies somewhere around the 700 million mark. And obviously that's relative. It depends on what their budget was and what their marketing spend was. But uh, it seems like everything above the 700 million threshold are the movies that are unquestioned successes for them. You know, that are the movies that are like, yeah, they're getting sequels no matter what. Um, You know, that's where you've got Guardians and The Winter Soldier and Spider-Man Homecoming, Captain Marvel, Black Panther, like all those movies are above that mark. And then just under that mark, you start to see the Doctor Strange and, you know, Iron Man 2, Ant-Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp, like the first Thor, the first Cap, like all those movies are kind of right under there. And those are all the ones where it's like, yeah, that was a good movie. But like, you know, no one's no one's favorite movie is Ant. Well, there are some people whose favorite movie is Ant-Man, but like there's not crowds of people who are lining up for the next Ant-Man movie, um, you know, or I, even I, Doctor I, Strange. I love Ant-Man. <laughs> and look, nothing Doctor wrong Strange with Ant-Man. I, I think yeah. both Ant-Man and Doctor Strange are very well executed, and I guess at the point we're talking about this movie, we haven't, those episodes have not come out yet on Ant-Man or Doctor Strange, but you'll, you guys will all hear those opinions uh, uh, when those episodes come out. Um, in great detail. <laughs> in great detail. But it is very interesting that, like, that is, because it's a pretty high mark to hit to, to be considered a success, you know? Like, I think if, if Universal... Uh, when they were launching their dark universe with all the monsters or whatever, if Dracula Untold or the Mummy had hit seven hundred million dollars, they would have been like, "Hell yeah, great! We've got a we've got a freaking universe." Even if they'd hit six hundred million dollars, they probably would have would have been stoked on it. But uh, neither of those movies, I don't think, even approached that mark. So, uh, so we aren't seeing a dark universe. <laughs> Is essentially what that means. We're just seeing um, this dark world. I'm going to keep beating that in. I love it. Uh, but but what are what are some of your favorite elements about Thor: The Dark World, Kent? Um, I mean, Chris Hemsworth is a gem. Uh, anytime <laughs> he's he's actually talking, especially uh-huh. when he's making jokes, uh, which do happen from time to time in this film, uh, he just really shines. He he is a thank God they cast him because he's mm-hmm. perfect. Um, I, think- I continue to continue to love him, uh, and I love the 
they do a good job not a great job but a good job of of asgard and just the whole like history and the lore of it mm. i think they do, mm-hmm. they do a good job and it's it, to me it's it's an endlessly fascinating uh world and i, I always want mm-hmm. more of it and that's kind of like the problem like it's it's thor uh, thor as the as a story is its biggest strength is also its biggest weakness when adapting it to film is there's so much history and yeah. like story to be told that you kind of have to cut through a bunch of stuff very quickly and not necessarily cleanly um yeah, yeah there, there's definitely it's a dense mythology to Thor, and you know, and I think I think this is the thing too. I think in this movie they were I, like it, it took them a while to figure Thor out. You know, you had you had Thor, Avengers, Avengers. Well, actually, just Thor and Avengers before this one, but really, it wasn't until Thor Ragnarok that they had actually figured that character out. So you're, you know, five, four or five movies deep at that point uh, yeah. with this character, and it really like this one. You can tell they're kind of trying to like get there with the sense of humor and like taking it a little bit more cosmic than it was in the first film. But there's also a lot of elements that I think just didn't quite mix as well. I, for me personally, I loved the Asgard that was portrayed in the first Thor movie. Um, and in this one, they kind of pivot on Asgard a little bit and you start seeing like these laser cannons coming out and it becomes much more of a sci-fi world and, and loses a little bit of that fantasy element. Um, definitely, which, to me, and I, I know like a lot of people have a lot of different sort of versions of Thor in their head, but to me, I really like the Thor that is that is very like um, almost medieval in in appearance. That like they're using swords, they're using hammers, they're using axes, like all that stuff. And so when you start to get too many laser cannons on Asgard, I get a little uh, I don't know. There, there's something about that that to me just doesn't quite mesh with what i what my ideal version of asgard and thor are um and that that that's, was jarring in yeah. this movie that's a hundred percent one of my biggest issues with it is the the difference and uh i mean it, it worked on in thor ragnarok because of the mix uh-huh. of the other world being brought in but that's that's a whole other can of worms but focusing on this one instantly because yeah. i had just watched thor before this just to get revved up and immediately when the opening when the dark elves are using lasers i'm like this just doesn't feel like asgard exactly exactly and that's the thing it's one thing if you take thor and put him in a world like whatever the the world is where um uh sakar where where jeff goldblum is in in ragnarok like it's one thing if you take him and put him there but then having him in asgard and all that stuff coming out like i would have loved to see like a a, just a full-blown medieval battle instead of like shooting at each other um yeah definitely i this this to me is the movie like i think avengers is where loki really comes alive but this is the movie where i think loki becomes the character that's not the villain that he's really just a foil um and 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 kind of becomes the most loved like marvel you know recurring character where he you know will continue to show up and kind of do his thing and it's fun you know and you can kind of laugh like he's not the one that's bringing doomsday he's just the one who's kind of sitting there quipping and making comments at Thor and like I, I love when they're when they're first you know sort of escaping Asgard or whatever and trying to go to, to um what is it they're going to save Jane or something uh or retrieve some I, I this movie sometimes man but when they're when they're on that ship and they're escaping and and Thor can't figure out how to like do this or that or whatever and Loki's just like berating him he's like oh great plan Thor awesome this is amazing like that that brotherly sort of like back and forth that they have is so strong and and i think it's 
really the the largest element that shines in this movie uh for all of its failings um I do love seeing uh uh what's his face um Stellan Sarsgaard or Stellan Skarsgård uh running around naked with a giant weather device that's 100%. really fun 100% the fact that that actor has so much range he can be so serious as he was in Thor and mm-hmm. I always forget that he's in the Pirates movies yeah. uh he can be su- like such a like top-notch actor and then they're like okay go comedy and he, <laughs> and he, <laughs> he just went full goes tilt. for it yeah. yeah oh yeah he did such, he was a, he was a really like one of the highlights of the film for sure yeah and i think with this movie i really like this movie basically up until about the halfway point and there's certain elements of the third act that i enjoy but like because i think the first half it's just like there's so much character in the first half that i can i can really enjoy just watching the characters bounce off each other yeah but then as seems to be the problem with some of the marvel movies is eventually they have to really start pushing the plot forward and they can't focus as much on character and so it starts to just be like and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens and then this big apocalyptic event and then there's a giant beam in the sky uh yeah and so but but it's 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 really fun for the first half um I do love Chris Eccleston's performance as uh, as the Dark Elf, um, Malekith. I really like the performance. I just think the villain is so underwritten and like underserved that that it's a great performance that sort of goes to waste. Yeah, they definitely, and I, I think it's also just the all those things. God, there's there's so much here. I I know that he. I, I thought you know I could be totally wrong, but I I thought I heard somewhere that he's he had a, a bit of a struggle playing the character because there just wasn't really much on the script wise to work with um, as far as like a backstory goes, and it does feel like that, which is sad because I mean not to always do like well in the comics, but yeah, the comics he's he's definitely a, a more well developed character, and there's so much more about magic, and I feel like they. I, I don't know. I feel like the the sci-fi elements are really fun and pay off well in Thor Ragnarok of the sci-fi stuff. But he's such a good like fantasy for the world. The uh, Thor as the world is yeah. such a good magic thing. That I'm I would have wished that there was been more magic with Malachi because he's such a in the comics he is like pure magic. Yeah, and yeah, and I think that's about that's that. really the line that they were also like struggling with in this movie is trying to figure out how much mysticism to include and how much sci-fi to include. Yeah. Uh, you know, and this is before. Yeah, it is, and and this is before the MCU had had obviously like started to include Doctor Strange, and you know, and and even like before Guardians of the Galaxy. Like this is they were in, they were not quite in their place to really understand how much breadth the MCU had, and how much of the comics they were willing to bring in, how much of the weirdness that they were willing to bring in from the comics. That's and true. So if Doctor Strange had come out first, this would have been an easy go magic thing yeah for them. I, I i think if they had saved malekith until after like until after dr strange had come out then we would have really had like a, a very strange interesting weird you know thor movie because yeah it's it's at this point this is a pretty grounded universe still you know this is a universe yeah. that has an explanation for everything you know the first thor movie went out of its way to you know kind <laughs> of to, yeah. to, to explain how this all existed uh Rather than just being like, yeah, we're gods, whatever. Uh, yeah, they, they're definitely I, like, they're aliens. They're aliens. Yeah, they're aliens. Don't worry. Here's the exact explanation about how these worlds work and, and what happens. And they're just life forms that live for 900 years or whatever. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a bifrost. It's, it's actually a wormhole device. Uh, uh-huh. that's <laughs> exactly. They're, they're explaining everything with like astrological anomalies and like stuff. It's, it's all so... Jane Foster is a scientist that studies these anomalies. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
but then you know but then eventually we get to the point like with with guardians and with ant-man and with dr strange where they're just like yeah no it's a crazy thing weird right like <laughs> you know it, <laughs> it just works they, so much better when you do that it's so much smoother because you don't need to answer every you don't have to have an equation on the yeah. wall for every little thing that happens just yeah, like because like, because it, it does it <laughs> Exactly. In Ragnarok, we just accept that Thor and Loki get thrown onto some random world that has a bunch of like wormholes just spitting stuff out on it constantly. You know, like yeah. there's, and and I think I think yeah, it's like they they at this time there wasn't much precedent there, and so they were still trying to make everything feel grounded, feel realistic, and feel you know a little bit like the Marvel Ultimate Universe from the comics. Um, and I, sure. I think I think Ant Man and then. I think Guardians, Ant-Man, and Doctor Strange really worked to break that, to, to stretch the universe past the point where they could try and make sense of it, um, which I think was for the benefit of the universe. Absolutely. Yeah, I feel like Doctor Strange was great, could use even more magic uh, at yeah. times, and yep. I feel like the the crossing over, and I know we're, we're hopping movies hard here, but the sure. it does feel very much like Dark World, because honestly, it's it's... It's uh, Thor's hair is a great metric on where we are in the MCU timeline. Yes, um, it is. When he's uh, got the scene with Doctor Strange and they're just hanging out talking, that's yeah. that's where like the MCU I think shines brightest is when you have well developed characters that are just having conversations. That's it. And yeah. when they're hanging out in Doctor Strange's house uh, and just oh. shit's happening, it's oh. pure fucking gold and there's magic happening and Thor's reactions are so just like casual to what's happening around him because mm-hmm. he's been around this kind of stuff before and I was like, man, this magic is happening so well with Thor. It, literally, Doctor Strange is performing magic and he's like, yep, yeah, yep, this makes sense because Loki does magic all the yep. time so he's, he gets it and he's totally, and his world is half magic at least. Uh, so yeah. and I was just like, man, where was this? In the first two Thor movies, uh, although I, I really do love the first Thor movie a lot, um, the second one uses the the magic a bit, but I just wanted more more magic, less sci-fi, even though it works tremendously well in, in Ragnarok. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, and here's the thing, like you can see, th- this is also the point where they hadn't fully figured out what they wanted to do director wise in this universe because i think at a certain point and we talk about this as the episodes go on but kevin feige and the people at marvel studios eventually start to realize that this universe is closer in execution to a tv series than it is to you know a film universe and so they kind of start to hire you know like lower budget filmmakers and tv directors to you know to come in and pitch in however I think at like that they that they took a little while to figure out exactly the type of people that they were trying to find, and so with this movie, um, initially they had hired Patty Jenkins, who would go on to direct Wonder Woman. Um, they hired her to, to direct this movie, but she left over creative differences, basically because she kind of wanted to tell a story that was more um, sort of a Romeo and Juliet type of thing, where you know Thor and and Jane were kind of these star-crossed lovers, literally. Um, which I think would be very interesting, whereas... That'd be know, really interesting. Yeah, totally. Uh, and Marvel wanted to go a different direction, so they end up, after Patty Jenkins leaves, they end up hiring Alan Taylor, who was a TV director. Um, his biggest credits had come on shows like The Sopranos and Game of Thrones. He's directed tons of episodes of Game of Thrones. Um, and I think that was almost too obvious of a choice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's I like, oh, we need a Thor director. Let's get the Game of Thrones guy. Uh, yeah, you know, just being like, oh, yeah, he knows. I think that'd have been that'd have been pretty good. 
Well, that's what I mean. No, that that is who they got. That's that's that was their final director. And and Patty Jenkins, yeah, I think would have been a better choice, um, and was a better choice until they they fired her. But I can see, you know, Marvel has their world. They have their narrative that they want to further. Um, you know, I, I feel like it took Anthony and Joe Russo and then James Gunn sort of back to back to make them realize the type of direction that they wanted to go with this universe, especially because really for the rest of the universe since then, everyone they've hired has kind of been a James Gunn type. Um, you know, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Scott Derrickson, who directed Dr. Strange is a guy who directed a lot of lower budget horror movies. Right. And then, you know, you get John Watts on Spider-Man homecoming. Who's a guy who's directed a lot of lower budget, a horror movies and be kind of like some interesting sort of comedy adventure movies. Uh, you know, then you get Taika Waititi who's done lower budget comedy movies, you know, like it's, <laughs> they realize and same with ryan coogler and i mean obviously like coogler probably one of the most successful directors they've hired after shane black because he was coming off of creed uh but before that he did fruit fruitvale station which was another lower budget character driven movie that wasn't a comedy or a horror just a drama um but probably the most well executed of any of these directors movies coming into the marvel universe um and so it's like, you know, they, they eventually found what they wanted in these directors where they go, okay, we need someone who is, you know, basically small enough name-wise that they will do whatever we say, but also big enough creatively, you know, and, ha- and interesting enough creatively that they will bring something unique to this this movie that we already kind of know what we want to do with um, so that they can add some flavor to it. Uh, and I think I think James Gunn is the turning point in the universe where they, they totally figure that out. Um all right, that that makes a, a hell of a lot of sense because yeah, it's it's a it's a tough road to straddle to be like, all right, do everything we say, but also come up with your own thing. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting looking at Patty Jenkins as the potential director for this because she's kind of both of the approaches because she she had done Monster, uh, her movie from two thousand three, which is a very very good movie that's you know like a lower budget, really interesting um, thriller uh, that is super well executed but then she goes off uh, after monster she directs a bunch of tv for about 10 years um doing arrested development entourage the killing shows like that and it's not until wonder woman that she finally gets that big debut but she is almost like emblematic of both of marvel's philosophies kind of in one director um and so it's it's interesting that she was you know that she could have potentially been that first sort of turning point director before james gunn and i think that their experience on thor the dark world you know, in those early stages kind of maybe showed them the way to James Gunn that they were like, you know what, we should maybe take a chance on letting the more indie, you know, sensible person do their thing rather than try and tell them to do our thing. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 just this is this this movie is such an interesting case study because I think they that Kevin Feige and the people at Marvel Studios completely sort of solidified what they really wanted to do going forward in the MCU because of of the the results of this movie. Yeah, it's it's definitely the as far in this direction that it, they seem to ever get was yeah. just I don't know what like everyone it's so hard to like quantify what it is exactly that it's Thor. I mean, I think it's just more of like complete lack of character. I, I've heard a lot of descriptions of Thor as having very little like growth as a character on screen and i think that that's fairly accurate he didn't want to be king at the beginning of it and he didn't want to be king at the end of it and there's yeah i don't know how much growing he did in the middle of it he was just battling 
Uh, well, yeah, but, and there's there's a way. Yeah. It, it, it's like there's a way to do that. You know, the Captain America movies are a great example of like you can yeah. do a flat character arc. You just have to make sure that the world around them is changing quite a lot, and that they are influencing the world. Like if you if you want to have yes. a character that doesn't grow, that doesn't change they have to be sort of a, a symbol of, of change in the world, that they have to change the world around them in order for the narrative to be satisfying. And Thor doesn't really do that in this movie. Thor kind of remains unchanged, and the world around him kind of remains unchanged. Like, he saves the day, but there's not really much of a, a change in behavior from the, the world around him. I think that also, to that, that element of not changing is uh, such a... is almost like a baked-in, like property of captain america that yeah. he's from this age of which you could also say is, is thor but I, I like thor growing and changing um but with captain america he's like i'm from the 40s i'm always going to be from the 40s kind of thing of like just like this mentality of even and even in the 40s he yeah. didn't fit in <laughs> but, totally yeah uh, of always not fitting in and always having these ideals and having the world change around him as yeah. he moves forward and and that it he does. I know he changes or whatever, but the, I think that's why, as you said, the world around him huge changes after uh, yep. Winter Soldier. At the end of it, uh, at the end of Civil War, huge changes. <laughs> yeah, throughout and at the end of Civil War. So yeah, he's he's a good example of um, kind of staying staying true to himself and changing the world because of that. Uh, Thor, exactly. Not so much, but. Uh, I mean, uh, building up to Ragnarok, Ragnarok's like obviously the the huge payoff for the character, and I, I hope that they kind of they found their thing. Which is funny, they destroy Asgard by the end, but now he's finally his thing. But <laughs> exactly. getting back to uh, Thor: Dark World, uh, yeah, there, there was a lot of missed opportunities, and I think this is this was definitely a character that could have done well with a longer series format kind of thing if you want to go serious. Um, and there's there's so much to like get into that I would love to have explored on on film and doing other things, but I mean, hey, they've got uh, Anthony Hopkins who's returning um, as most of everyone's returning and obviously killing it. He he automatically brings like the gravitas just by being in the scene. He's I just, love Anthony Hopkins as Odin. He's so good. He's the. I, I do not want anyone else cast as Odin <laughs> ever, uh, ever. Yeah, no, he's perfect. And I, you know, the the one person um, who who didn't return actually in this movie uh, yes. as as a character, <laughs> the one person who didn't return was uh, Josh Dallas, who uh, played um, Fandral. Um, Fandral. Uh, and I, I really liked his look as Fandral. I thought he was. Yes. he has like this Robin Hood sort of look to him that that fit that character really well. Um, but before Josh Dallas was cast in the first movie. Uh, another person had actually been cast as Fandral in that movie, uh, and that person was Zachary Levi. Uh, however, Zachary Levi had to drop out due to conflicts with Chuck, so then they end up casting Josh Dallas. And then, uh, in this movie, Josh Dallas has uh, conflicts over his schedule with Once Upon a Time, so then they go back to Zachary Levi, who no longer has scheduling conflicts, uh, and he's finally able to, to, to embody the largest role that he would ever have in a superhero movie, which is playing <laughs> Fandral. Is that right? Is that That's the biggest thing? Absolutely, really it is. It is 2019, and that is uh, entirely accurate. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's very strange seeing him because I actually really enjoyed uh, Dallas as Fandral in the first mm -hmm. film. He was great. He also had, I think, more lines, so that, that yes. helps too. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, uh, Levi's good. He's good, and I think that if he'd been given the same lines as Dallas, I think he did a good job as well. Yeah, totally. And I, I. 
you know, I, I like both of them. It's it's very interesting, like, you know, because the, the funniest thing about it is, like, for the first movie, Kenneth Branagh was the one who, who had cast Zachary Levi, and it's Zachary Levi doing a British accent. So it's kind of like, okay, if, if Kenneth Branagh thought that uh, his British accent was good enough, I guess it was good enough. Um, and, and so it's, it's funny hearing him do a British accent in this and he does do a dang good job. Uh, however, he has the same problem that Thor has in the first Thor movie kind of Zachary Levi has in this, where it's like you're taking a brown haired person and dyeing their eyebrows blonde and their facial <laughs> hair and stuff. And it just doesn't quite work. Uh, yeah it's, it always looks a little strange yeah which i'm glad they figured that out for thor like after the first thor movie they're like yeah let's let's not do that with the eyebrows it looks freaking weird um but they i think they i i would have been fine with zachary levi just having dark eyebrows and blonde hair um but i guess with the beard they would have had to i don't know anyway uh but that's cool it's it's well, nice seeing zachary the next levi episode, we deconstruct the facial hair of the mcu <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of facial hair there's a lot of good facial hair in the mcu um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I like Zachary Levi as Fandral. I like that character in general. I like the Warriors 3, and I kind of wish that there had been more opportunity to use them in these movies. Yeah. Obviously, Taika ends up killing them, but I, I really would have liked the Warriors 3 and Sif to, to play a larger role. I definitely think that they could have had... I mean, it's it's too much maybe to ask for their own spinoff movie or TV show, but I, 100% I was thinking that while watching this. I'm like, there there's so much character there that, that yeah. each one of them is this element of something, mm-hmm. and there's so much to to digest there that they... I don't know, it just feels like they, they didn't get the opportunity that they needed to, and I think that's just the trouble of trying to fit decades yeah. of comics, of great <laughs> comics, into two-hour blocks it's just it's you're gonna you're gonna leave a ton on the cutting room floor so yeah it sucks and they they barely got any screen time throughout three movies yeah and i I do think that maybe in the future i would like to see i would like to see maybe like sort of a rebuilding of asgard you know there's there's obviously from the comics where asgard's like floating above oklahoma or something um but i'd like to see a rebuilding of asgard and then maybe like a movie centered around valkyrie and sif like maybe they're trying to reestablish the valkyries and so oh, you know sif and, and yes yeah like i think that'd be cool uh i think there's so, a way you then know, you could also then focus more on the the fantasy and the magic of it if yep. you're able to bring back characters like that and do because i mean they did this in the comics they had killed off the entire asgard thing and then obviously brought it back above oklahoma but then brought back all the characters mm-hmm. and did a great job of that obviously that's classic in comics but i think that that, w- that would be a good way of rebooting you could totally recast and yeah. well and i mean you things. know they don't like like sif as far as we know sif's not necessarily dead valkyrie's not dead and so at least those two could come back you know whether or not the warriors three come back from from what happened in ragnarok uh you know you still at least have those two characters to center around and then maybe it could even just be maybe a new warriors three you know like you use other kind of characters from the comics as the warriors three um i like that who knows uh anyway so so in moving on um we uh in talking about how this contributes to the broader mcu um one of the big things that it contributes is the reality stone uh which in this movie is referred to as the uh the ether um yeah it's kind of an interesting thing uh i i enjoy it i think it's a cool element to me it being the reality stone is a little shaky because like again this as we see this it's almost just doing the same things the tesseract does yeah it's, you know it's basically a 
a Tesseract. <laughs> it's yeah, it, it's, it's so like, nondescript in its ability. Yeah, and, and so it, like really, I don't think even even in Guardians of the Galaxy, like I don't know where the point was that they started to actually like give a unique purpose to the Infinity Stones. Um, maybe it's Doctor like Strange got a name is the first and, time. and a certain ability with it. That's strange. It's really weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, you know, and then, like, the only unique thing that we really see in this movie that's super different from the other things is that the ether kind of, you know, embodies, like, it, 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 it takes over Jane Foster, which is cool. I mean, it provides a unique thing, but it also just turns Jane Foster into a prop uh, for this yeah. movie, you know, once we hit that that point where she, she gets taken. Um, yeah. I also, actually, I do want to say, I love, I do love the fake out when, when Loki, you know, cuts thor's hand off and and you know like that that whole act that they do there um one of my favorite parts of this movie it was it was a really kind of uninspected and fun thing um in theater i was kind of blown away and my mind started racing because there are things where like odin and or thor lose a hand so i was like are they fucking doing this all right exactly exactly uh, and it was, it's, it and it's like with out. Loki, Loki's so unpredictable that it's like you buy it, you know, you buy it when he's just like, oh, yeah, let me tur- turn Thor over to you and allow, you know, like, give me a seat to watch Asgard burn from. And the motivation was clearly established, right? Like, he's been kind of cast aside. He's a prisoner. Like, you know, nobody is really doing any doing him any favors. Obviously, he killed a bunch of people. So, of course, but like, you know, he's you, you kind of buy that he's totally down to just watch Asgard burn um 100 percent. yeah i mean as far as like big takeaways like best parts of this movie loki is obviously possibly the best part yeah yeah no loki's great here um and i was so so that's that's really the the biggest thing that this contributes to the larger mcu is that it you know it gives us the reality stone there's not too much else in this movie that i think really goes on to play a big uh a big part um no, but I'd say I've, for that, for the ether being the MacGuffin and Jane Foster kind of, you know, being a part of that, we, we like to rate the MacGuffins on this show. And I think this one sits right around a four because I like it when the MacGuffin is a person who has their own, you know, like, uh, or even just anything when the person, when the MacGuffin is something that has its own opinion and its own intentions and stuff like that. However, yeah. in this movie, I think that what could have been a very interesting MacGuffin by having it embody Jane uh, turns into basically one of the most dull ones because she essentially doesn't do anything uh, once it's inside of her, and so she just becomes a prop. Um, and so I think it was a wasted opportunity. Yeah, uh, I'd say three or four is a pretty accurate rating on it because of all the things you just said. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. it sucks, and it yeah it it it's it never feels like an Infinity Stone uh, when they're yeah. when they're playing around with it, and it's just very it's odd. And I wanted. What's funny is, like, at the time, the other movies, I was like, okay, cool. Every movie's going to have an Infinity Stone now. And then they didn't after that. They, I was yeah. like, man, what the fuck, man? And now looking back, I'm like, thank God. Good job. Yeah. Those, those things really, really slow down the focus of the film. Uh, yeah. It, and I'm really glad that we're about to be done with the Infinity Phase because I think it'll force these movies to get back into a more creative MacGuffin zone rather than just being like, oh, we got to get that rock. Yeah, exactly. And those things are so powerful that they kind of just completely they're very tough. I think Guardians probably did it the the best. To me the the Tesseract being Infinity Stone is such a strange thing because of the comics, but uh I mean it makes sense. It makes sense. You got to condense things, you got to combine things. Um yeah. but to me I think my favorite uh is from Guardians of the Galaxy. The the use of yeah. it and the having it because it only comes into play really like once or twice. Yeah, totally. 
Um, and uh, yeah, so but in, Dark World. Yeah, I'd say yeah, three or four yeah. somewhere in there is is uh, about yeah. right. God, yeah, it's mm, like yeah. Anyways, keep going. Yeah, um, we like to talk best performance. I think in this movie, best performance, and I think this happened in in Avengers as well. But I think the best performance here is Tom Hiddleston again. Um, yep. I no, love no him question. as Loki. He's really good. Yeah, it's, uh, it's tough because you have all these like we're we're brushing aside Natalie Portman. We're brushing yep. aside uh, Anthony Hopkins. Like we're yep. we're brushing aside these top notch uh actors but that's yeah. what the script had they didn't give those uh actors much to work with so it's it's yes it's definitely loki but i i think that they missed an opportunity with all those other characters that there's so much juice that they could have gone with of just i think they just needed to have those co- those characters talking more that's it it's more conversations yeah. it's all yeah, it's very simple um for rising star in these movies it's always a tough thing i i Ooh. i because especially because like Rising Star is such a unique thing where a lot of these movies have such stacked casts uh, yeah. that it becomes very difficult. However, I, I I think Jamie Alexander is probably the rising star of this movie playing Sif. I think that this is one of this is probably the most that Sif is used in any of these films. Albeit yeah. her role is kind of as like the jealous sort of lover or whatever. Um, but I think she does a great job with it, and I you know obviously she goes on to. You know, to do awesome things. I mean, her show Blind Spot has been really good. Um, she even is like one of the few MCU characters to cross over into Agents of Shield. Uh, you yeah. know, I, I just think overall she's she's a great actress, and I think this is the first time in this universe that she really got to show off. Um, and so I, I'd say I'd say either Jamie Alexander or like Zachary Levi are probably the the rising stars of of this film. Um, but it probably more Jamie Alexander because Zach Levi had been in a, a bunch of stuff before this. Um, yeah, I would say Jamie Alexander is a is a solid choice. Um, yeah, would you say I I'm uh, so terrible with the timeline, but it was Idris already <laughs> taken off uh, after the oh, first? Oh yeah, Storm Idris movie. Elba was 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 pretty big by this time. Honestly, it's crazy how small Idris Elba's roles in these movies are because yeah. of where he was at in his career already. Like you know, we we'd already had the Wire uh you know american gangster like it was you know he he was already very well established uh at this point um and so i i i don't know it's it's quite odd um anyway well, uh, uh, before before we go i, I we, we had talked about it briefly beforehand and I, I just have to like rip on it uh and yeah. it was bugging the fuck out of me so uh-huh. where do we start with thor in this film he's all butthurt and all like bent out of shape because he really wants to see his girl jane foster and at the yeah. beginning of this film the bifrost has already been reconstructed why isn't the first stop of his to go back to midgard earth to go see her i just it, you can't put all this yeah. emphasis on that it, it, like I, I get you know you want to have that first that first getting back it's super important and, and it worked that scene that they they meet i love it it's great and i understand hey yeah. right there but you have to give me a good reason a really and good that, reason to me, that's that's where the Patty Jenkins version of this movie gets yes. really interesting because it's like, oh yeah, this is this is great because she would sort of be using the fact that the Bifrost was gone as a plot point that they couldn't get to each other. You know what I mean? And, and yeah, so I'm it's, sure it's, that it's easy. It's fucking easy. Yeah, yeah. 
And so it's like you can have a movie where it's like Thor sort of, you know, comes into conflict with with his family over the fact that he's in love with Jane Foster and and that, it, you know, eventually he goes to see her. Maybe part of the movie is about figuring out a way back to Earth, like, you know, Jane trying to, you know, figure out a way to Thor, whatever it is. But like that you can drive, like really have a family centric and love centric conflict between these two worlds, basically, that, that the characters represent. Um and yeah, I, I think that would have been a more interesting story, especially because it would have been like, you know, it gets exhausting when these movies are, are always world ending. Uh, and so yeah. I think it would have been an early point for them to really take a breath and and have a character centric movie. Um, there, you know, there's that, so many elements that I couldn't agree more of having um, Odin uh, being like, ah, they're mortals. Fuck them. Uh, kind of thing, which is weird because he's charging Loki with so many crimes. It was like, look what you did. You, you, you're horrible. You monster. You committed all this genocide. Hey, Thor, fuck those people. They're they're nothing. <laughs> 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 like it's such a different back and forth. So there could have been a little more consistency there with this character, but sure. um, I think that there would have been a, a great opportunity for the the Bifrost to have not been reconstructed yet. And you've got him act one or first half of act one is him all butthurt and all like been out of shape. And then the reconstruction of it happens. And yet he still can't go see her because Odin's like, uh, uh-uh, you're not going yeah. back. Like that's, that's what are you wasting your time with a mortal for? And then him coming into conflict and him trying to like break in. And then maybe him trying to get with Loki to try and help him get to the Bifrost. And then him maybe there's, there's so many, there's yeah. a million ways to do it, and they're, I feel like they're all right. And, yeah, it's just... Ah, the Starcross yeah. Lovers thing would have been a much better uh, story, in my opinion. Uh, and then you could still mix in all the things that were in this movie, but really boil it down to, like, the best parts. And Yeah, exactly. Cut, I Cut the fat. Yeah. I, 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 whenever I interview Patty Jenkins, you know, I'll, I'll make sure to ask her about her <laughs> version of, of this movie. Um, I, I would love to hear her, like, uh, uh, like an hour or two of her breaking down what her movie was. That would oh. be incredible. I, I would love yeah, to be, be right. awesome. Uh, but at the at the end of the day, Thor: Dark World was worth it because of the scene in Thor: Ragnarok where they're reenacting it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that's that's the funny thing is like that little scene is all you need to know about Thor: The Dark World to totally get it. <laughs> um. Yes, and so the the last few things we normally do, uh, let's let's uh, give the villain a rating. I'd say Malekith gets like a three. He's maybe the weakest villain in the MCU. I've got like one other villain that might contend, but I think I think Malekith is is probably a, like a maybe a two or three. He's yeah, out of ten. It's I, that's exactly where I'd rank him, which is sad because in the comics and that actor, yep, he is much higher than that. So, but yes, yeah. two or a three in this film. Um. And then the Stanley cameo, we have uh, Stanley in the sort of like mental slash elderly home uh, when Selvig's been doing his weird like rant or whatever using shoes. Uh, and then uh, Stanley sort of you know interrupts and is like, "Hey, can I have my shoe back?" I like that Stanley cameo. I think it's pretty good. It's good. Um, yeah, not my favorite, uh, but yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I think it's like a solid six or seven. Sure. Um. Then we have our, our uh, mid and post credit scene. The mid credit scene uh, is uh, uh, Volstag and Sif delivering the Aether to uh, uh, the Collector, uh, which is the debut of Benicio del Toro in this universe. Um, I think this was a, a pretty cool thing. Like, and this is the part where we start to really to know that the Aether is an Infinity Stone, kind of. Um, yeah, no, I mean, you know, they clearly say it's an Infinity Stone, so we know it is. So it's, we do, Okay, it's, yeah, that's right, they do say it in there. Yeah, um, they're, they're very clear. He's like, well, we kind of have, we kind of have two, 
two Infinity Stones together. Yeah, uh, so it's it's oh yeah, yeah. Doug, that's right, that's right. So this okay, yeah. So they did establish at this point that they're Infinity Stones. This is probably the first time that they established the Tesseract was an Infinity Stone. I know. I you know what? It, as much as they as I had watched these films and understood it, the, the fir- this rewatch was the first time that I realized that there was a mention of it being an Infinity Stone before Infinity War. I was like, yeah. oh, oh, they really established that way ahead, and no one commented on it. And I, not yeah, even, I mean, I, they, they I'm just so dumb, I didn't even realize it. Yeah, and they, they, it was definitely like for for the Tesseract and for Loki's staff. I feel like both of those were were retcons. Where the Tesseract, I think, was just intended to be the cosmic cube yes. initially, yes. Um, and Loki's staff was maybe it was intended to be an Infinity Stone, but probably not. Uh, yeah, however, those are retcons. Those are 100%. yeah. Those have to be retcons. If not, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Like, and so this one, this one, I think maybe it it didn't. It might not have started out being an Infinity Stone in terms of when they started writing the movie, and then maybe toward the end they start being like, "Yeah, I guess it's just an Infinity Stone." Um, uh, but but yeah, it's, it's kind of a cool. It's like the first sort of big like after the Avengers post credit scene. It's the first big teaser for like what's to come, um, you know. And it also obviously leads directly into Guardians. So I'd say this, you know, it's a solid six out of for for mid credit scenes. Solid six or seven. Eh, I get, I'm I have, I'm gonna go lower, like five or a four. It to me, it's always the motivation and what's more secure than Odin's vault. Obviously, <laughs> the history of it is very insecure because in the be, literally within the first five minutes or ten minutes, Odin's vault's getting broken into uh, of the first yeah. Thor movie. It's so it's not secure. But and then it happens again uh, in the third Thor movie. Exactly, like it's it's always being broken into uh, all the time. But yeah. If you're calling it Odin's vault, like why would if you've already established it as being Odin's vault, like it, it's got to be secure, secure enough. Uh, and I just think that they would have put it there, and it's not anywhere with the the other other two Infinity Stones were on Earth, or is the Infinity no, Stone? No, because at, at the end of Avengers, at the end of Avengers, Thor takes uh, Thor and Loki take the the Tesseract back to oh, Odin's okay, vault, okay, so okay. that's why they didn't want it to. Uh, oh, okay. I, give it to him, I think it's six it's, or seven. I like the direction. I like establishing the collector. I think they were initially intended to have a larger role in these movies, but um, but I, I like the collector. I like establishing this stuff. I think the scenes. I don't know. It's pretty fun. It's a good scene, but it's always the plot holy kind of like. Eh, just to, to me, I'm like, mm, eh, I I just it's something I can't let go of. I don't know. I, I'm just uh, I get I get kind of bent out of shape really easily on the this kind of stuff of like really you just going to this random person this yeah. this pawn shop you're gonna go hand it off to this guy and you trust him. What reason yeah. do we have for this? And I get it. World building wise, it's excellent. Character wise, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, um, so, it, that's the hard part for me. And then uh, the the, the post credit scene this ties into abandoned plot threads. Uh, I think the biggest abandoned plot thread from this movie is Thor and Jane's relationship. Um, oh, that gets toasted. Yeah, there's no. It just this is like the last the last thing we see of their relationship is it, it, in this post credit scene. Jane is like on a rooftop in London. A portal opens on her balcony, uh, and there we have Thor. They happily embrace, uh, uh, which which is you know. It's one of those things. It's like the last moment we see them, they're happy and embracing, and there's like not any real explanation of like what 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 happened to their relationship. Where did that go? Um, there's a little like they make mention of it in Age of Ultron, but it's it's off. It's mentioning something that's happening off camera. Yeah. Did they? Did he like say in Age of Ultron? I haven't rewatched that movie yet in this in this chronology. But uh, did they say in Age of Ultron that like they had broken up or anything, or was it? No, no, there, there's a really great scene where 
Thor is talking about um, his girlfriend, and then mm-hmm. Tony is talking about his girlfriend. That's right. And they're that's talking right. about yeah, and they're talking about how awesome they are, and they're they're kind of like getting this kind of like secondary that's, role. Yep. It, it's it, a great one. Brilliant scene. Brilliant scene. Great. Perfect little like thing of having two actresses who may or may not ever come back into the MCU at that point. Um, it was it was a wonderful little nod to those characters and and how much yeah. those relationships mean to those characters, but have to deal with the fact that they're being written out in a way. So no, yeah, that's it's good. That's that's kind of like the last mention of it. But this is the last on screen of them together, yeah. and it's. It's strange. That's, that's, it's strange for the for you're you're losing Natalie Portman, who's a such a heavy hitter. Yeah, and it's it's such a because it is like totally abandoned. Where like there's no closure on their relationship at all. It's just like the no. last we heard, they were still together. Um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. There's no there is zero mention or nod or anything. There's not even like a you gotta love you gotta you got someone you're really into back on Midgard kind of thing. There's nothing. Yeah, they make they're they're basically that is that is not happening. It doesn't seem yeah. like. And I, I, after Dark World, I, I wouldn't want to come back if I were Natalie Portman. I'd be like, "This is I. You, do you know how good of an actress I am? And you're giving me this stuff." Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, if my contract came up at the end of this, I'd be like, "Yeah, I'm done." Yeah. No, I do not blame her, especially because she goes on to do. I believe didn't she do Black Swan after this, or was it right before? Either way, she obviously is is a is a powerhouse as far as acting goes, and she is much better than the role that they gave her. Um, yeah, I agree. So, uh, well, anyway, like, they, so they tried to make her like powerful enough. It'd have been interesting if she'd had different. Eh, whatever, fuck. There's a million yeah. ways to rewrite this thing. Uh, <laughs> she, for what could have been. Uh, so, yeah. well, we miss you, Jane. Sorry they they didn't really do a good job with you. Sorry they did you dirty. Um, yeah, they did you dirty. That's a great perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, Kent, let's 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 get those plugs out of there. What you got going on in the world? What should people check out? I mean, you gave me a solid plug at the beginning of this. Uh, I have a comic that I uh, write and draw called Scariest and Screamforth. You can go to scariestandscreamforth.com to read it. It's a young adult story. Uh, it's about three kid monsters in a monster town trying to solve a mystery. It's spooky cute. Uh, it's pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, I've got a uh, puppet that reviews uh, comics uh, that I produce called uh, comic review puppet i almost said the old name uh comic review puppet that's on instagram another thing on instagram i have going on is comics out loud where um, my buddy colin and i just make fun of old comics as we're reading them uh, a little parody thing and we're we're still doing a fantastic four story is our first thing it's very long yeah it's like a, um, it's like a read-along sort of thing they're, they're giving vocal performances to the amazing words of stan lee and jack kirby yeah exactly but we'll, we'll move on to some other old school uh, comic stuff once we've finished this one and then uh, yeah. i mean i think that's pretty much it i, ha- I have a, a podcast another one uh with you uh that yeah. we we talk about making comics and it's uh very in-depth and in the weeds so if you're ever interested in trying to figure out more about making comics that, that's great with us uh jason what are you working on oh man you can all uh find me uh my my social media stuff is uh jason halftones uh, obviously working on this podcast you can check out the social media for the podcast at that might be cool um, doing the comic with or uh, comic book workshop with kent uh, we interview creators and talk about making comics you can that's also on that might be cool you can check it out or on any podcast app uh, now on spotify actually uh, mm. and then you can also uh, check out the stuff that i do on <laughs> yeah uh, it's it's news to me even as of like a few days ago um but uh, you can also check out. I did a comic called Boat Hard, starring Eyepatch Patch McForce. It's a, it's a fun it. sort of. It's, <laughs> it's like fucking a, great. 
it's the cheesiest 80s action movie that was never made um uh it's about a guy with two eye patches who sees through his fists uh you can check that out on my instagram at jason halftones um it's it's a fun little comic so go ahead and check it out um you can support the show on patreon patreon.com slash that might be cool you'll find exclusive episodes of podcasts there as well as early access to our content um and uh yeah that's that's really it kent where can they find you on social media uh, your uh, regular, so my your regular own stuff. individual social media is at Kent Heidelman. The best one is on Instagram. Hell yeah, man! Well, uh, Kent, thank you so much for for joining us for this uh, mythological uh, episode of uh, the Road to Endgame. On that might be cool. Uh, we we very much appreciate it, and uh, obviously this this will not be the last time that uh, these these TMBC listeners uh, hear from you. I'm glad that I wasn't just picked for the worst MCU movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> No, man. We already got Incredible Hulk out of the way. Okay. <laughs> ooh, ooh. It's it's the debate, which is that that's a different episode by itself, which is worse. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, listeners, listeners, write in uh, at that might be cool. Uh, let us know which which MCU movie you think is the worst one. That's yeah. I'm, I'd be curious to hear what people's opinions are. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks <laughs> for right. having me. Bye, everybody. Absolutely. And uh, thanks, listeners, for listening. Uh, we will see you again tomorrow for what I believe is Captain America: The Winter Soldier. But I guess you'll find out. Bye. That might be cool.com. You never know. <laughs>